0: This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival.
1: I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's show, our featured guest will be the Gold Coast Suns AFLW head coach in David Lake. We'll be checking in on the AFL Sydney Phil and Moston medal night where nine women from the original SW AFL were inductors, life members into the AFL Sydney organisation. We'll also be hearing some audio from the VFLW Best and Fairest Night where the Lambert Pierce medalist was announced. Also coming up in the program, we'll have scores from the AFL Germany Women's Grand Final, finals football in AFL Ontario, scores at the United States Australian Football League and we'll be checking in on the finals action out of WA, the ACT, Tasmania, New South Wales and Victoria. That's all coming up on the program. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival, the new coach of the Gold Coast Suns, AFLW side. It's great to have on the line, David Lake. David, how are you?
2: Good, thanks. Peter, and yourself?
1: I'm fine, thank you, because finals fever's in the air when it comes to state leagues level, particularly down here in Victoria. And I should mention, even though you're up in Queensland, you're originally from the southwest of this state.
2: I'm a Camperdown boy, born and bred, born in Warrnambool, grew up in Camperdown, and uh, always keeping a close eye. Good footing, good people.
1: And just skipping ahead just a moment before we cover a little bit more of your background, of course, in the last couple of years, you are on the coaching panel with Craig Starcevich of the Brisbane Lions, almost coming full circle for you. Of course, Brisbane were a result of the merger with Fitzroy, and you were actually a Fitzroy under-19s premiership footballer. Hey, I was in
2: 1982. It- for uh, was born uh, many years ago, but it's um, yeah, I started started there, and so I had an affiliation to the to the Fitzroy Football Club, and uh, and I guess that that, that love has remained. And, um, and when I actually when I got the opportunity, when staff asked me if I'd uh, be interested in getting involved, it was it was great to reconnect with a club that you really care about. So it was good.
1: So how did you eventually find your way up to Queensland? Uh, well, I worked in the grocery industry for many years, and. And that was
2: like when I when I departed Fitzroy and I thought I, I need to get a real job. And I, I went from Melbourne to Darwin to Brisbane to Melbourne to Perth to Sydney back to Brisbane with uh, just inside the, uh, the grocery industry with companies like Unilever and Cousins. And I was lucky enough on that journey, I guess, to meet a lot of – I played a lot of footy in uh, in different quality environments. And then to uh, and when I got, my kids started to play and I, I've got um, four sons and a daughter – and as they, uh, they grew and you have a responsibility as a parent to get involved, um, there was a junction where I went left and they went right. And, uh, and I learned that the best thing for your kids is to leave them alone. And, uh, and the best thing for me was to do what I love. And, uh, and that took me down a, a coaching path. And, and, and I, I coached on that journey. And then um, I coached in the state league um, at Mount Cravat for six years and then uh, coached some, uh, at Morningside after that and then played some state football and, and some of the junior pathways. So I'd spent a lot of time around, I guess, the players in that period that under, underpin the talent and the competition in a lot of the clubs. So um, it was just, I guess, a natural progression to, to do that. And I thought at 50 I'd retired and um, and then Craig Stafford which called and uh, changed the direction of, uh, of my footy, I guess, and, and got me involved again. Yeah, and, and here we are. <laughs>
1: There's a little gold nugget of information when you talked about bouncing around all those cities. I believe at the time you were in Darwin, you were playing at St Mary's against a youngster by the name of Michael Long. I played with Michael
2: as a seventeen-year-old. I played in his first game of senior footing. and mate, uh, what a what a great fella, and uh, respectful then, respectful now, and with a great great career in between, but. That's actually uh, where my, I guess, my love for coaching. So I was in my early 20s, at 22, 23, and um, I coached the St Mary's under 15s. Um, so young Willie Rioli, the West Coast, his father, Willie Rioli Sr., who had a of ball form, in that side. Brian Stanislaw, that went on to play at the Sydney Swans, um, and a host of other boys that played Sandful and Waffle Footy. Um, I was lucky enough to, to coach a lot of those boys um, in that environment when I was. 22 and, and they were 13 or 14 so a lot of fun
1: throughout your time coaching in the state league men's competitions up there in Queensland I guess is also applicable to the women how hard is it to pull resources and get the better players etc in a non-traditional football state
2: uh, yeah there's coming around I guess you've got to do your best you got to do your best work whether it's a big pond or a small pond uh, I think ultimately you know, people talk about you play for money, um, you know, and you move move to different clubs for money. I think I, I probably don't subscribe to that. I think at the end of the day, if you build strong relationships and uh, and you're committed to what you do and you can sell that vision to other people, um, it's funny how it turns the other way around and the, when the talent finds you, it comes to town and someone tells someone and, and they come and play for you. So I've always been lucky enough to build um, competitive environments and environments that people have Wanted to be, and so um, I've probably not struggled to to find talent. And then uh, I guess showing an interest in the talent and developing the talent. And I think uh, at the end of the day, that's what everybody everybody wants to see. They want to feel wanted, they valued, and uh, and they want to learn. So that's sort of been the uh, been the easy part. And I've had a I've had a strong connection to. I've coached the PNG um, national team for the last ten years um, in three international cups and you've In that, that's another, I guess, another vein of talent. And then coaching the South Pacific for the AFL, in those veins of talent, you bring players in. And it's the same thing if you um, you give love, you get love. And yeah, I've been lucky enough to to find talent and put that in my environment as well. So it's been a lot of fun and educational for me.
1: Prior to Craig Starsevich picking up the phone to ask you to be a member of his coaching staff, uh, what exposure had you had prior to women's footy in Queensland or also up in Papua New Guinea? Because also they fielded a women's side most recently at IC17. Well,
2: I I could say I had something to do with it, but I didn't. It was coached uh, by a local guy, the PNG one, but I'd had zero exposure. Other than the fact that I had a daughter and um, I wanted my daughter to live her life, being the best best version of her, playing football, doing whatever she wanted to do. Um, and when staff picked the phone up, it was about an opportunity, like I'd coached in business athletes I'd, uh, yeah, and you'd coach in traditional footing stuff. I'd been in all the standard programs and it was it was a piece that um, that I hadn't explored. But uh, I, what I learned quickly was that um, if someone wants to compete and has got a passion to learn and, and um, you, you have a responsibility, I guess, that's male, female. Um, doesn't really matter. You uh, you immerse yourself. And I quickly I quickly learned that the, the women were uh, more thankful and uh, and they had a thirst to learn and they they challenged what I knew about the game. And uh, I guess they challenged me to keep re-educating myself to make sure that um, I was giving the best information and the best version of myself to them. But um, probably I've learned more from them than, never, than I've taught them, if I'm really honest. But um, I hadn't had a lot of exposure, but... Once I've been drawn in, uh, I love it. And I'm looking forward to my, my fourth year of it. Great.
1: How long did it take you as a coach to make that adjustment from how you would coach men to coaching women? Because obviously this is an issue that will face a number of um, ex-AFL footballers over the years as they look to women's football as possibly one of their coaching pathways as they progress up to AFL men's coaching. Uh, look,
2: I don't think it's any different. It's, as I say, it's about how you, how you treat people and how you communicate with people. And if you look at the person in front of you or the group of people in front of you, you assess and communicate in the most effective manner to what you've got on the other side of you. I, I don't... Uh, the male-female thing, yeah, it's different, but it's according to... So whether that was your your wife and your daughter at home or whether that's uh, females in a group you're working with or... I, I don't think it matters. You, you adjust accordingly. But I, I will uh, from an information perspective and a... Uh, and the right to learn point of view, are probably my my highlight. Um, I swore I'd never tell this story again. But uh, Caitlin Ashmore, in my first year, probably two months in, pulled me up for um, my method. And when she questioned me, it was uh, sort of like, "Whoa! If I was questioned like that in a male environment, what would I do?" And I had all I had about ten seconds to work out how I was going to respond, which felt like uh, an hour. And uh, and I had a dozen girls standing in front of me, and my the way I responded was going to shape uh, my, my co- uh, coaching career, coaching female footy. And I took it on board and I moved and I continued to coach. And that night uh, when I went home, one of the other girls in the group actually messaged me and, and said, are you okay? And and I, it was probably halfway through the night when I woke up, I thought, "I'm do I really want to do this? What right does she have to question me? I was only trying to teach her. But when I, by the time I woke up in the morning, um and I stopped and I sat down and I started to put all this information together to present to the girls. She wasn't actually questioning me as a coach. She was questioning me in the, in the information I had and the method that I was going to use to deliver it. So my my response to her style of learning or wanting to learn was more relevant than what actually happened and to be able to shelve my, I guess, my ego and uh, and actually um, embrace the opportunity to learn and teach um Different, uh, or female athletes uh, mate, it was a great eye-opener and I thank her very much for challenging me if I look back now it was, uh, it was an interesting experience but it's good
1: while you were under Craig Stasvich at that time at the Brisbane Lions, for that period he was also um, head of the high performance program for AFL Queensland and their female football program. Um, how invaluable was that time under him to obviously spread your network of contacts and obviously being able to get the best information and players available in Queensland taking into your role now as Gold Coast Suns head coach?
2: Um, so if I, first in the first instance on staff, my, I, for me, staff is the most qualified in the uh, AFLW he's an absolute ripper he's uh, right, he's, he's got a, a really nice nature and he has a, an enormous amount of knowledge like he's played in an AFL grand final so he's played at the level he's uh, as you see he's uh, he's prepared in a high performance environment outside of the one AFL premiership so like he, he's uh and then he then he worked with uh, in that high performance role so as I said and he's good natured and he's uh, he's a relationship builder and he's not a He's not a mean person, he's a nice person, someone that you want to be around. So he uh, he, he built really good environments. And then with uh, big Dan Merritt and uh, Brent Staker and, and uh, Brianna Brock in her role, Mark, I, I I said to Stash yesterday, I had lunch with Brian Stash yesterday, and uh, you miss the company because they're such good people and they create good environments. So that in the first instance, the stars part, the relationships part, um, I too, I'm a natural relationship builder, and uh, I enjoy that part of the game the most—the people I meet and uh, the relationships that you form. So I guess stars let me in the gate there, and um, if I had that, those relationships, probably allowed me some of the Lions girls to come my way. When we're out, we're able to access eight girls, and you have to show them what you've got, and seven of them came. That was uh, that was exciting, and then I guess the rest has been um, how to fosse the female talent. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with staff doing that for the line. So um, how to go about it, not so much the, the same girls, but looking for new girls and spreading the net around Australia to find the best talent. Um, some skills that um, I was able to hone while working with staff. So um, we still speak regularly and we still speak about a lot of the girls. And uh, yes, we compete and we both want our uh, our clubs to be competitive. But at the same time, I think we share a, a love for developing um, young female talent and bring it through and and let them go and grow and that's at the AFL level and what underpins it and what's coming through. So yeah, we'll compete on game day and we we'll compete when we're finding our talent. But I think we both respect the environment the same. That's the good part.
1: Now most people would be nervous going through an interview for ten minutes. So that little note, half an hour or an hour. Uh, for yourself, if I read correctly, you went through an interview process that went for ten hours. Can you talk us through that?
2: Uh, so it was the amount of interviews so um like I, I had it in my head that i would never coach again and uh so there was a process of um i guess to the point of uh wanting to apply and uh had to get through to that part and then there was the um after that there was like your initial interviews to get to the and then i had to face the um you know like you've got john haynes the general hanger of operations football operations craig Cameron the general manager of list Mark Evans, the CEO, Fiona McClay, the head of women's footy, and you, you're sitting in this room, and, uh, and Stuart June, the senior coach, and they're all firing questions at you. And but uh, I must say, if I look back, it was I loved it. It was great fun. Um, and the competitive juices start to flow. And the further in I got, I'm glad it went that long because the further in I got, the more I wanted to do it. And, uh, and then with their... Um, Cliff Mallett is their their head of um, culture and uh, and behaviour. Who's a really really interesting fellow and just to go through all that, and they really by the end of it they they knew they wanted me to do it and I knew I wanted to do it and uh, I really appreciated that it went to that, that there was that many interviews and it was that thorough. It was good.
1: Uh, Let's jump back a moment to when you were talking about relationships, particularly with the Brisbane Lions. Because you're a new side in Queensland, inevitably you've got to bring across some players from the Lions to join your side. Uh, Obviously for the women, they've built a bond over the last three years they've been at the Lions, particularly because they played in two grand finals. What's that conversation like with those players to say, look, we want you to leave behind a club you're probably having a good time at, but we want you to start something brand new here on the Gold Coast?
2: So my approach is more about, um, as I said, what, what have I bought into and what does it look like? What, that's what Fiona McLarty, I guess, sold to me, and uh, and I liked how it looked, and I, I I bundled that up with a game plan and the environment and a culture that we wanted to create, and I, I put that into it, and I present I, I handpicked who I wanted, and uh, and I there's, as you'll you'll see, we had some older players, and then there was um, quite a strong group of younger players. That had a lot of growth left in them, and I uh, so I was strategic in who I um, who I wanted to coach, and then I guess yeah presenting to them and and uh, letting them make a decision, I guess, and uh, so my case had to be strong um, to get them to want to come across, and um, seven did, and I'll, I'll say there were some that didn't, but it was a process that I had to go through to um, to try and woo them and win them over so that they wanted to come and um, they wanted to come and play. For, uh, for the Gold Coast Suns, because in some cases for some that meant driving down the freeway, um, for others that meant not having to drive down it anymore. Um, but I, I can tell you, it's a nervous process because you think you've on a relationship that I build. You know, are they going to come? And I could easily have got no players from the Brisbane Lions, and I, I actually thought at some stages that may have been the case because we were relationship-wise, that was probably one of the real strengths of the Brisbane Lions was the care that the girls had for each other. So yeah, it was a difficult thing.
1: On your list, you managed to pick up uh, some Adelaide Crows footballers and a, a former Western Bulldogs footballer, in Tiana Ernst. How important is it to have those players with uh, premiership experience in your side?
2: Well, Tiana Ernst is the most experienced player. Uh, like I say, she hasn't missed a game in her three years, and she's a premiership player. So, and it's uh, what a role model human. Just what she gets through in a day. She's uh, and she's she's a great person. So really lucky to have her. And then it was funny, Sally Riley. I was going through flying over the women's grand final, and uh, I was going through the the prospectus of all the girls from uh, from two thousand nine. I was just working out who who I would want in my environment, what type of player, what type of person, uh, what type of athlete, all that kind of stuff. I was working through, and Sally Riley was actually on my list as was Jasmine Hewitt. And then uh, to get to Sally Riley was um, that was the hardest part. It took me a month to get to her, and once I got to her, I had I had a forty-five minute phone conversation to convince her that that's where she needed to play, and not head back to Victoria. And uh, yeah, so that that was really interesting. But another one. She's a um, and so she's a Premiership player, but and, and she's a teacher, but she's a uh, a natural relationship builder, and a, and the environment that she creates around herself is uh, is special. So so those two, and add to that, uh, Leah Caswell and Sam Burgo and you've got a good call for the girls to follow around. Um, so I, I think that took significant pressure off me as a coach to be able to get four players like those four, four, pretty significant female.
1: I'll talk about some of your players that have found some good form, particularly through the winter series, the three-match series that you had against the uh, Brisbane Lions. Uh, you named as your emerging player of the winter series in uh, Jade Bregali, and uh, Kate Sermon was named player of the winter series.
2: Yeah. Jade's an interesting one. So I remember Jade as a kid. Um, she was a year behind Katie Brennan. And, and it, back then it wasn't Katie Brennan, it was Jade Jelly was the name. And then uh, she headed off down a different path with the army and, um, and, and and as an officer made a good career for herself and might you know, lose his leadership. But um, like it's been a bit of a journey. And we've, we've um, so we started, um, well, she started from the interchange to the um, to a little bit forward, then down to the back line, and a little bit of midfield. And our biggest challenge has been getting her body um, ready to do it all over again. But I think she showed clearly that it hasn't left her. She just needed to retrain it. So, and as a that as a player, and then as a as a person, as I said, she has great leadership and she naturally takes control of things. Um, but our challenge has been holding her back to build her slowly. And um, yeah, so that's a she's a significant one. And uh, and hopefully we can uh, we can get her come draft time, and then. Um, and then you've got one like Kate Sermon who, who we've uh, priority signed already. She's like a Ballarat girl, so she's grown up in the heartland and uh as a basketballer, played a little bit of school and uh and then yeah, so she, she's gone and moved, she'd all moved her life up there and then and there was a fairly good story about the journey of her life the other day. She's a uh, she's a pretty solid human and um yeah, so it's been a great story. I, I don't think at twenty at twenty seven she's got so much more into it. Um, she could be anything uh, once she like I said, gets a solid AFLW pre-season behind it. But really, interestingly, you've got Kate Thurman and Sally Riley, who both are Ballarat girls, and they walked into training one night at Winner Series and gone, I know you. And they went to different schools in Ballarat, and they're around the same vintage, and uh, and they both got the nickname Spud. So <laughs> it was uh, quite funny. Um, and then those relationships with on they're good for being a good environment, I guess.
1: Also good to see with some of your under-18 signings performing well uh, through the uh, AFLW Carnival up there in the Gold Coast uh, a couple of months ago, including uh, Ali Hampson and Katara Wapfara uh, getting named in the under-18 All-Australian team. And then Ali actually just backing it up just a few weeks ago, winning a premiership with Cooper Roo in the QAFLW Grand Final.
2: Yeah, and she's an amazing talent for a girl that hasn't played a lot of footy with a soccer background. She's so, so dynamic. And, uh, and so strong and powerful. And, uh, it, it's funny because she, she plays because she can on instinct and she's an athletic beast. And then everyone has a judgment of what she does and doesn't know. She looks like she's been playing forever, but she's really so young in the game. But, uh, she, from my point of view as a coach, um, I can't believe how lucky I am to have her. She's, uh, she's an incredible talent. And then if you go to young Katara is, uh, and for her, it's learning how good she could be, and the attributes she has. She's such a natural player, um, and the transition to come down a little bit early and learning how to train properly, learning how to eat properly. Um, there, there, her challenges are around um, adapting to the environment, and as she does that, she'll become uh, extremely prominent as well. So we've been we've been pretty lucky in that regard to pick up two such talented girls, and yeah, that's good. It's a good start.
1: As we spoke to Ali a few weeks ago on the program, previewing that grand final, she mentioned how she was flying down uh, from Townsville to Brisbane to play for uh, Cooper Roona. And it begs the question that Queensland's now split into zones: the southeastern section being claimed by Brisbane around the Gold Coast and the Tweed Heads, plus the northern part of the state being claimed by the Gold Coast. Uh, what is the thinking when it comes to training for 2020? Will the full squad be based on the Gold Coast, or are you looking at what the Crow situation did, where they split up into camps? Will you possibly have um, some? the players you recruit from the northern part of the state training up in Cairns or Townsville?
2: No, we'll all, we'll, all be in, uh, we'll, we'll all be on the Gold Coast. So I think that's critical because, like, we can talk about, it's all about the show, the big show, AFLW Game Day. But at the end of the day, a large part of the responsibility is on us to put programs in place to, to bring the girls forward, to have the right coaches uh, and put the right support mechanisms around them for them to develop. And as I said, that's from training to eating to football um to preparing like we that's our responsibility and theirs is to come and and, and uh, i guess immerse themselves in it and that's where you really develop game day is by byproduct of what you learn i think so it's important that they uh we bring them all in and we come together as a group create a, a good culture and a good learning environment so that we're competitive
1: And how do you feel coming into your first uh, draft uh, table? Uh, This is up on October 22nd uh, here in Victoria at uh, Tuesday morning, 10.30 a.m. Do you expect it to be a busy time or we'd be more working the phones after the draft, considering that, uh, and we've heard this from a number of interstate footballers, that they've actually nominated for the Victorian pool more just because of the numbers game, that there's about 50 spots on offer in Victoria compared to lower numbers in the other states.
2: Yeah, I think um, we at all clubs we we communicate with priority players, we and then we see other players out there, and you 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 have your lists of where people fit and uh, you go to the draft to um, to see what you can get, and and we all I guess all, all of our sides are different. So if you so Stas and I, he's uh, what he needs in his developed environment is a little bit different than what I need in my environment that I'm trying to create. So yes, you compete, but there's some plays some things you don't compete on because what suits him, his, his environment is already stable so he can take a different player in than what maybe I can take So, um, and I'm sure that will be the same in Victoria for, uh, St Kilda's and Richmond's need greater numbers than uh, some than what say uh, a Geelong might need or a Melbourne might need, they're just topping up with um, specifics So, but in a competitive environment yeah. and then we can then look at that if we've got a pick left at the end and um, we can look around and, and you can take someone after the draft anyway. So, um, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of girls around on a similar level. So they're smart to hedge their bet. That's what happens.
1: Looking at rookies for a moment in the years going forward, we've seen at the moment a flood of Irish women come into the competition. The 15th Irish woman has just been signed to Carlton earlier in the week. We've now seen an American sign at the Western Bulldogs. Do you envisage that uh, that international outreach happening there at the Go- at the Gold Coast Suns? And do you see even possibly tapping the South Pacific area, obviously from your time previously in PNG, but uh, if you look to Fiji, for example, and obviously um, the, the, the growth there, there of rugby sevens and how that might cross over to AFLW.
2: Yeah, I think we all do all that. I mean, I, I get videos from relationships you have with people in Germany, in America, in Canada. Like they come through all the time. And then um, the cross coders, um, uh, Jason his stuff. But I, I like the cross coders concept. But I, but I think I'm in a in the stage. Um, I've got to look at what uh, and that environment and what I can actually offer and what I need to offer the girls that I've already committed to, I don't think that's where where we're at as a footy club as a starting point. Hence, we we didn't um, sign a rookie in that period. I actually think there's also a lot of talent. Um, It may be be more narrow, but there's a lot of talented athletes still playing other sports that can still make the transition. Um, And then there's girls that have not had the opportunity, or players that haven't had the opportunity to develop that might be in a country town or... Through through childbirth or through injury or situations in their life, but I, I think they're still out there, and uh, and I think um, Geelong was a great example when they did their list build of um, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and and uh, Richmond have been imaginative in the way they've done theirs, and it's not all about grabbing um, what we know about. So many different ways to do it, but I, I think there's a lot of lot of exploring to be done inside Australia, but certainly not taking an eye off. Um, the cross stuff with the Irish girls, and then uh, again with the girls to the Pacific America, Canada. Um, you still look, yes, you're still looking for the, need- you know, the needle in the haystack because uh, there may be as many teams in America and Canada as there is in a particular region of Australia. You've got to sift through it all to find that player. So uh, they're out there.
1: And finally, David, one last question. It's a bit of a twist on what we ask the players, but naturally for you as a coach, um, what does it mean to you personally? If you were to sit down there at the computer, you, you punch into Google your name and it says, David Lake, AFL Women's Head Coach.
2: That's just uh, From from my point of view, as I said, my, I don't want my daughter to live a day of her life doing what she doesn't want to do and to have the best opportunities to be the best version of her. And if I can create that for 30 girls and that's that's the only thing I give, then I'll be satisfied. And if from that, I can then, because they have uh, developed and they've got good environments to learn in to be the best version of them, then and they become, whether they become an AFLW um, All-Australian or whether they become a doctor or a lawyer or a hairdresser or whoever they want to be, if I can create an environment that makes them feel valued and, uh, and have the confidence to be that, then that's what seeing my name there means.
1: Well, David, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Gold Coast Suns all the very best in the draft coming up in October and then with your inaugural season kicking off next year.
2: Good on your feet, Appreciate
1: it. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au, you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holton. Great to have your company. On Monday night, it was AFL Sydney's Night of Nights, the Feelin' Moston Medal Night. The Phelan Medal of course being the Men's Premier Division Best and Fairest, and the Moston Medal being the Women's Premier Division Best and Fairest. Amongst many other awards given out in the night, uh, AFL Sydney induct Life members into the organisation, and this year was a very special occasion, marking 20 years since the formation of the original Sydney Women's Australian Football League. AFL New South Wales ACT. CEO Sam Graham was on hand to induct nine women as life members into the AFL Sydney organisation who were part of the foundation years of the original Sydney Women's Australian Football League. Here's the audio courtesy of AFL Sydney.
3: As I welcome you here all tonight, it is also my great privilege and role to make a special AFL Sydney life membership announcement. 20 years ago, A group of pioneers had a vision, that women had a major role to play in our game, not only off the field, but on it. Through their relentless determination, on the 8th of March in 1999, the Sydney Women's AFL, or SWAFL, was established. These pioneers worked tirelessly to grow women's football in the early, early years, working hard to find players, facilities and anyone who will support their ambition. And who would have thought, 20 years on, we now have the Giants in a national women's league. We have local heroes and moston medalists, Amanda Fruger and Nicola Barr, representing this region on the national stage. And that AFL Sydney would have 37 teams across four divisions. It's just amazing how much women's footy has grown. And this game of AFL in Sydney and women and their contribution that they have made we wouldn't be in this position without the foundations that these women have set in the swaffle back 20 years ago. So in honour of the 20th anniversary of the swaffle, it is my great privilege to recognise some of those pioneers with life membership of AFL Sydney. One of those
4: parts of the evening that we do ask for your full attention throughout, we have nine to induct. It's a significant part of the night and so we'd appreciate your full attention through this and then we will turn our attention to the winners. The first inductee is Yvette Andrews. <clears throat> Yvette was the founding secretary of the Sydney Women's AFL from 1999 to 2003. She won the inaugural premiership with the Western Bulls in 2000 then again as their coach in 06. The first player to 100 games in Sydney, she represented South Wales four times the Swaffle Team of the Decade. She was also on the inaugural AFL National Women's Advisory Committee and was on the GWS Women's Advisory Committee. The Giants were established in their AFLW team, ladies and gentlemen, and their efforts. Next we have Lucy Bergman. Lucy was a founding member of the Swaffle Committee and... The- representing New South Wales on five occasions and playing in seven grand finals. Lucy was integral in setting an inclusive culture through innovative policies, including tribunal procedures and transgender policy. Ladies and gentlemen, Lucy Bergman. Michaela Ekman. in a of nine Grand Finals and represented New South Wales in the National Championship on five occasions. She was named in the Swapnall Team of the Decade and was selected in the Team of the Year twice, once as captain, Michaela Eckman. Next, we have Steph Foster. Steph is one of the most decorated players from the early years. She captained New South Wales on three occasions and was named in the All-Australian Team twice. She won the Swaffle Best and Ferris Award twice and the Golden Boot once. She has been in the Premiership winning team on six occasions, most recently in 2015 with the Newtown Breakaways. Steph Foster. <laughs> Meredith Grey. Meredith was a founding member and the first captain of Sydney Uni, playing in the inaugural Swaffle Grand Final on the Swatball Committee for many years and has played over 200 games, winning three premierships. She was the organiser of the 2002 National Championships here in Sydney and represented New South Wales on five occasions, Meredith Gray. Next we have Karen James. Karen was a key part of the Swatball leadership from 2003 to 2011, including president from 2005. National Women's Advisory Committee and was inaugural to the Swaffle becoming integral to the Swaple becoming incorporated into AFL Sydney in 2012. Karen James. <laughs> Roslyn McMahon Bostick. Ros became president of the Swaffle in 2010 and continued to work and continue the work of the previous presidents, working with the AFL to ensure the Swaffle was. Into Sydney. She represented New South Wales on many advisory committees and was instrumental in the establishment of New South Wales football here in Sydney. She was also the team manager for youth- New South Wales women's team was named in the All-Australian team in 2001 and was selected in the Swaffle team of the decade, Natalie Morgan. And finally, Gemma Still. Gemma has played over 250 games. She is the most capped New South Wales player, including captain on three occasions and an All-Australian twice won five premierships was a member of the swaffle team of the decade and has been selected in the afl sydney team of the year on five occasions Gemma was on the swaffle committee for eight years with two as president she was an organizer of the 2006 national championships and has won a unsw blue for leadership in sport ladies and gentlemen and Gemma still and continue your applause for all nine how good is that and i now ask Yvette and Natalie to come to the microphone and say a few words. Ladies and gentlemen, Yvette and Natalie.
5: So I've um, actually written down a few things which is quite lucky because seeing that footage makes you pretty emotional. That was 2002 and um, the thing is, the reason we did this was we just loved it. We just loved the game and we wanted to be a part of it just like everyone who'd played before us. So obviously this is an enormous honour and that another Swaffler original will um, say a few words on behalf of the New Life members. We are a few of a very many, many women and some men who embraced our passion for the game in the early days and who have got us to where we are today. A seismic change has taken place since the Sydney Women's AFL incorporated in 1999 and we held two official games, the first two official games of women's AFL in Sydney, one at Monarch and one at Trumper. And those teams were based in Wests and at East and Sydney Uni. And the following year in 2000 we held the inaugural uh, season and we were joined by the Glebe Cyclones who became Balmain. And Campbelltown. So the Western Wolves won the Grand Final in 2000 against Sydney University in double extra time. I'm really good at getting the people up the back to stop talking. (laughs) Um, We won the uh, Grand Final against Sydney Uni in double extra time and Craig Davis and I had to stand in the middle of the field after the first extra time to work out how the hell we were going to finish this game. It did go on and on but um, We triumphed and Lucy, Mickey, and I played in that um, grand final along with Meredith, uh, but unfortunately she was on the wrong team. Um, So back then it was pretty tough and Nat is going to tell you a bit about that. But it was a very collaborative time as not only were we running the league, but our teams and also supporting other teams to get off the ground. And I think that commitment to a great and growing competition for everyone is a really important quality that we should keep with us. There was some, we we played our footy very seriously as anyone who was there can attest. And we made a film about it called Balls, Bras and Bruises, which pretty well summed it up. And there were some amazing athletes, including gold medalists and freaky AFL geniuses like Steph Foster. And some players who have just made massive milestones of 250 games like Gemma, and Mickey, who's still playing 20 years on, uh, Watch Out Luffy. <laughs> we had some big-name supporters like Tony Lockett, who did a fundraiser for us, and Ron Barassi, who was our patron of the 2002 National Championships, and Meredith took Barass to visit her mum for a sherry before we took him out clubbing. We could get away with things back then. And, of course, women advocates like Gabrielle Trainer and Sam Moston, who helped us enormously along the way. One of the big changes over this time has been the attitude of men who play, so that's you. The male players now view the women players as equals. It wasn't like that but it, when we played, but it was really important and it's really nice to see, so thank you for embracing women footy players. <clears throat> We've proven that women's footy is not just a novelty. It's a central part of the integrity of the code and the emergence of women's sport, which some of us have waited quite a while to see, is changing who we are as Australians and I think for the better. We had a simple mantra back then of more women and girls playing more AFL and every year since 1999, that's been the case. Four divisions in Sydney, um, the idea proposed by Karen, leagues across the state, the number of junior girls exploding, thanks Roz, and a third of all players are now female, Academy Pathways and a 14-team AFL competition. So the picture for women and girls is starting to look, look the same as for boys. We just need a longer AFLW season and bigger budgets. Just put that in there. <laughs> um, I'd like to acknowledge the really important role of women sports journalists in this transformation. They have been our spokeswomen and advocates as well, and it's been great to see the growth in women's umpires. The next investment will surely be the development and recognition of women coaches at a club and elite levels, and I know a few that I reckon could make life membership as well. Heritage is a great thing in AFL, and this is actually also the 100th and first anniversary of the first na- known game of AFL played by women in New South Wales, in Broken Hill, in. 19, 18 so it's been a while in the making but thank you to the Sydney AFL tonight for recognizing our story as an important part of the AFL story and thank you Sam for your um, commitment to doing this your words before were really uh, really lovely and um, really important and I'd just like to say good luck to the women playing this weekend, those two teams weren't there at the beginning, but geez, I'm glad they're here now.
6: Just quickly, I won't hold you up, but watching that footage, a bit, a bit like a vet, I was, you know, got a bit emotional because I was surprised it was in colour. It seems uh, so long ago that we played and started it out and. You young kids playing now, you know, back in our day, what we did in that first season to actually get out on the paddock was pretty impressive when we look back on it. Um, our goalposts we handmade out of plumber's PVC pipes. And before a game, we'd have to do um, a poo check, a dog poo check of the ovals. And at a certain ground, we'd also do the syringe check as well. Um, so, the other thing, another part of my job was also uh, going to council on a Friday afternoon to collect the the line marking paint to actually mark out the grounds so that we had goal squares and centre circles and things like that so that we could actually kick off the match. So you've got it so good now, you're on TV. Luckily there's not much footage of us, so we can tell you that we would have been good enough to play as well. So um, thank you all very much for yeah, the... Membership, really appreciate it. Thank you all. And if you want to hear more about the early
1: years of the Sydney Women's Australian Football League and how it got off the ground, then I recommend you listen to our interview with Yvette Andrews, the founding secretary of the competition. Just search through SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio and go back to episode 100. It was a very special podcast for us where we looked at the foundation of the West Australian Women's Football League, the South Australian Women's Football League and the Sydney Women's Australian Football League. Again, search for episode 100 of Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Since we're focusing on AFL Sydney, we might as well stay there for the Moston Medal Night and find out who won the best and fairest for the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It was none other than GWS Giants captain and Macquarie University Warriors football player Amanda Ferrugia.
4: Give her a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Amanda Ferrugia. Not just your first, not just your second, but your third Moston medal. Absolutely amazing. How does it feel? Three times a winner.
7: Um, It's a big surprise, to be honest with you. It was a a weird year being out quite a bit with the VFLW program. But um, it's always nice to come home back to Mac Uni and um, play for the team that I've loved for many years. And um, there's no better place to play my football. And I've had a wonderful year playing for the girls.
4: What do you put the success of the MacUni program down to? Because they have had significant success.
7: Oh, it's very much about the, the people there. Um, I, I think that message has be re, been reiterated across all of the award winners tonight. Um, the thing that keeps people coming back and playing for clubs for many years is um, the culture that particular teams have. And I think everyone's pretty biased about their own clubs, but MacUni certainly has something special, particularly in the women's teams.
4: Now, many people would know as well, you're part of the, uh, the GWS Giants as well in the AFLW. That, I mean, a night like tonight, yeah, give her a round of applause for that as well. That's, that's well and truly worthy. A night like tonight, which has made such a point about highlighting the, the impact that women have had in the game of AFL and the growth of women in the game, for someone who is absolutely at the forefront, how does that make you feel?
7: Um, I mean, it's a privilege, but um, it was really quite lovely tonight to see the, the women who really pioneered Uh, for the women's game. Um, Those women who were inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, tonight, they're the ones that actually did the hard yards. We're the beneficiaries of all the hard work they did. So um, I can't take any credit for anything, really. They're the ones that um, showed up every week with minimal facilities and um, probably not many people supporting them, and they kept doing it anyway for the love of the game. So um, thank you to those women in particular.
4: Great answer. That's superb. Now... I want you to talk to me about what a fridge-fest is. What is a fridge-fest? And for those that don't know, talk us through it.
7: There's a girl on our team who um, dabbles in a bit of DJing on the side, and um, my nickname's Fridge, and we
4: thought, what better place... Your nickname's Fridge? yep. My nickname was fridge at uni. I'm a fridge. You are not a fridge. You're a you're a bar fridge. You're a mini fridge. You are you are not a fridge.
7: I am a bar fridge, so I'll <laughs> still claim it. But um, yeah. So we thought, what well, better place to have a, a a festival than in my backyard? So we called the Fridge Fest, and um, the rest is history. So you really had to be there. Maybe next year we get an invite.
4: Do you get dressed up? You get into it?
7: Um, festival theme was the attire for the night.
4: Oh Jesus! Now the GWS Giants is uh. They were supposed to be having a skills session, a a training session tonight. Are you aware of what happened to get you here this evening?
7: Um, There was a bit of manipulation of the situation, I think. Um, I was told that the skills session was canceled and that I was encouraged to attend. Um, So I did the running session, didn't do the skills session and uh, got ready at the club. And I think I've got a lot of sweat in my hair still, but that's okay.
4: So let's just make clear the GWS Giants cancelled their skills session, so you could be here tonight to win the award. That's when you know you've made it to a certain level of success in your footy club.
7: I walked past the um, I walked past the place where we were doing this skills session, and just so you know, they were actually still doing it without me. So um, I felt. Are hard done by to be honest but um
4: now that's the other part of being successful is you don't need to do the training you're fine
7: uh we, we like training that's the thing about women's footy we'll train rain hail or shine so yeah um it was nice to be here anyway to, to collect the award it's quite special
1: also earlier in the week, the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Best and Fairest was handed out with Emily Bates from Yoronga South Brisbane, winning with 16 votes. Just one vote ahead of Glinda Howworth of Bond University and Jordan Zanchetta of Yoronga South Brisbane. Over in WA, it was a tie for the Dara Kerr Award for the best and fairest player in the WAFLW competition between Subiaco Lions, Hayley Miller and Danica Pisconeri. So congratulations to Hayley and Danica on uh, tying to win the Dara Kerr Award. Also earlier in the week, it was the VFLW Best and Ferris being the Lambert-Pierce medal. Jamie Lambert of the Collingwood Magpies was hot favourite to take out the award. But in the end, it ended up going to a ruck. Lauren Pearce of the Darabin Falcons. Now, Daisy
8: said before that the Falcons is like family. Is that how you feel?
9: Definitely agree with that. I've, you know, that's the first place I started off in footy and I've never really wanted to leave and very glad I was there this year.
8: Take us back to the first time you came down to a training there.
9: Um, Very nerve-wracking. I remember going down with mates to kick the footy and in the street, never really kicked it that well, probably along the ground a few times, (laughs) sat down on the curb and cursed everyone else because I was terrible at it. Um, And then a mate of mine said, let's go down to a footy training. Um, She was sort of not giving up basketball but she wanted a different sort of sport and we went down to Darabin, didn't realise how good they actually were when we started Um, and the rest is sort of where it was at.
8: Did you ever contemplate that you could be
9: here in this moment winning this kind of award? Hell no. (laughs) I'm sorry but I had no idea this would come today. Um, Very grateful for it and as I said I didn't know this was coming.
8: So tell us about life at Darabin, because when you get there, they're a powerhouse. And now with the introduction of AFLW, I imagine things are quite different. What's it like?
9: Um, You know, a few girls have left towards their AFLW teams. it's great to be able to go back there and for Melbourne to be able to support me to do that and you know I just think it's a great environment to be at and I've never once been disappointed with how we've been and you know we might not be the best team in the league but we've worked our asses off, we've tried as much as we can, and I think just the effort that all the girls have wanted to put in to become better and the fact that you see girls on the oval before training um, asking the coaches for help, wanting to do what they can to get better and obviously to want to be in an AFLW side, like I couldn't be more prouder of them and um, just seeing that I might not necessarily have been out there with them all the time, but you know, it's, it's been great to see that. And so what is so
8: special about the fabric of this club? Can you take us inside those four walls?
9: I just think, and I've said this before, like, you know, everyone tries to help out with everything. Um, you know, whether it be emptying drink bottles, filling them up before training. I know I've done that a few times and I don't think twice about doing that because you want to do that for your teammates. Um, it's helping out on game day. It's getting your parents to help. My parents, umpire escorts. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, I just think it's more of a family vibe and, you know, you want to be there, you want to help out and you don't, you don't take things for granted there. And that's what I really love about it.
8: And your season, the club didn't contend for finals, but you've had a remarkable year. What are you most proud of?
9: I think I'm proud of, you know, coming into it. I didn't do pre-season with everyone, but the standard that they're at when well, no, I got there and they, the want to be there and the want to try and do as much as they could really impressed me. And, you know, as much as we might not have won as many games, I think coming to the end of the season, we're really proud of what we did. Um, and I'll always be proud of being a Falcon.
8: And I think they're very proud of you. They've been whooping all night. Is there anyone you'd like to thank? Come over here
9: like to thank the Falcons. (laughs) Mum and Dad, I know they're watching the live stream so thanks Wendy and Jeff. And I just I just think the whole journey and everyone that's contributed to my football, um, all the players at Melbourne, all the staff at Melbourne, I think they've really engaged with the program and really helped me to become who I am and I think everything they've put into place has helped me and my skills and everything and I started off terrible at kicking a football and surprisingly enough, I'm okay. Um, but I just think everyone as a whole, it's been great, the experience and I've really loved it all, and I, I'm so glad I've changed to football. Well, I think you're more than okay at kicking a footy now. Ladies
8: and gentlemen, can I please ask you to stand and raise your glasses as we toast Lauren Pearce, the 2019 VFLW Best and Fairest.
1: That audio courtesy of the Victorian Football League. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up right after this. There's
9: jumpers, and t-
4: for you at leagetees.com.au leagetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't
3: find anywhere else. Plus their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today.
1: leagetees.com.au you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Now time for our International and State Leagues footy wraps as we check out scores from around the world. Let's begin, first of all, to the Australian Football League Germany Women's Grand Final that was played over the weekend in Cologne between the Hamburg Dockers and the Berlin Crocodiles. And it was the Dockers that took out the 2019 Premiership, defeating Berlin 9 61 to 4 Congratulations once again to the Hamburg Dockers. Semi-finals action in Canada with the AFL Ontario Women's Competition in the Miners semi-final. Edepico Kangaroos 11-12-78 defeated the High Park Demons 2-1-13, while the Hamilton Wildcats 10-8-68 defeated the Ottawa Swans, just the seven behind. The Wildcats jumping straight through to the grand final. To the preliminary final, be held this Saturday 14th of September, 2pm at Manitik Polo Club. It's the Ottawa Swans versus the Oedipico Kangaroos for the right to take on the Hamilton Wildcats. Over the United States Australian Football League, just one women's match played over the weekend. It was between the Minnesota Freeze and a combination of the Chicago Swans and North Star Blue Ox, and it was the Freeze victorious 15-13, 103 to 4-10-34. It is worth mentioning that at least 10 women took part in a mixed game of Aussie rules in Hawaii weekend just gone. Between the hawaiian eagles and the seattle grizzlies now while we make mention of the match is that former afl footballer brownline medalist four-time premiership chef footballer sam mitchell just happened to be driving by spotted the game and took part playing for the hawaii eagles so a memory there for the women and men who took part in that match in hawaii And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at week two of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Finals. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all as we count down the sleeves to the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final. But before we mention the preliminary final results, uh, the Moston medal has been uh, handed out for the League Best and Fairest for 2019. It certainly
10: has and um, uh, for I believe the third time um, the winner is Amanda Frugia from obviously the uh, Mac Union Warriors so um, probably not too many surprises there um, but yeah, nice uh, nice recognition leading up to uh, this weekend's grand final.
1: And Amanda Frugia of course the GWS Giants women's captain uh, stamping her authority as the best woman currently running around in New South Wales.
10: Yeah, she's certainly done that, Peter.
1: Well, let's have a look at the uh, preliminary final that was played over the weekend. The East Coast Eagles, of, of course, were upset in the major semi, sent to the preliminary up against the Sydney Uni Bombers. And in the end, it was a four-goal victory to the Eagles.
10: Yeah, so it was a fairly, I guess, close and, and low-scoring match. Um, it started off how I thought I would, extremely tight. Uh, East Coast Eagles were one goal straight to the Bombers' 1-1 one, one, at uh, the quarter time, the Bombers couldn't add to their score in that second quarter whilst the uh, Eagles added one goal, two. And, look, the Eagles were never headed from mm. there. There was uh, only six points in it, Peter, at, at three-quarter time. But uh, the Bombers couldn't score mm. after that. And uh, the Eagles put on three goals of their own. So, uh, look, four goals is a big margin, I guess, in a low-scoring game. Um and look, the the Eagles would obviously be happy to to gain back a bit of momentum, having uh, lost their first final. But look, McGartland was strong again, um, kicking three of the Eagles' uh, six goals, and uh, you know she's certainly going to have to be on her best form if the Eagles are a chance of uh, taking out the grand final this weekend.
1: And when you throw in there such names as Tompkins, uh, Sir Goodsir- and Sarika, you see some of the quality that's in that East Coast Eagles lineup.
10: Yeah, you certainly do, and um, look, you know, we've spoken about this plenty of times, but uh, they have certainly had a great uh, inaugural season, and uh, yeah, they've, they've got quite a good good players, uh, which you mentioned a few of there.
1: So let's take a look ahead to this Saturday, the fourteenth of September, one thirty pm at Blacktown International Sports Park Oval Number One. It's the grand final: Macquarie University versus East Coast Eagles.
10: Yeah, look, it's, um, these two have been uh, uh, the best sides all year by none. Uh, it's no surprise that we're seeing them face off against each other uh, in this grand final. Um, look, you know, before the, the before the final series, I was thinking the Eagles are a good chance to, uh, to to take it out in their first year. Um, but having seen the Warriors perform like they did in um, that first match, I think they're experienced. Um, obviously, it's not just the experience, but they've got some extremely good players. And, uh, look, I think it'll be a close one. Um, but I'm going to tip the Warriors down. I think they'll claim their first premiership in the, uh, the women's premier division. Um, but I think we're going to see a really good game. I think it might be a little bit closer than it was um, in the first week of finals.
1: So that's the tip, MacUni, to win the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final this Saturday. Thanks again for all your help, Lauren, and we look forward to hearing from you next week when you take a look back on the season that was in the Grand Final in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division.
10: Yeah, thanks, Peter. Looking forward to it.
1: The preliminary final of the West Australian Football League Women's competition was played over the weekend, where Swan Districts 9862 defeated Subiaco 2517. Speaking after the match, here is Swan Districts coach Kara Allen.
0: Had the prelim against Subiaco, who uh, were the minor premiers uh, this year. We knew it was always going to be a really tough t- um, task for us out there at Lead of the Oval, but I set a challenge to the girls um, that we really needed to start strong to set us up uh, for the rest of the game, which we did, got on the scoreboard um, quickly, and consecutively, which really set us up. Thought our forwards, um, you know, are just building um, and have done so over the last four to five weeks, which is really promising. Um, and really worked well together. They were selfless, um, laid blocks, and gave gave it to the best options. So I suppose that, yeah, that first quarter set us up really strong. Uh, second quarter was a bit was a, yeah, a bit more quiet. We had the breeze and didn't really capitalize. We kicked one late, which was awesome to set us set us up for the second half. And I thought um, the way we grinded out the game in the second half and to only let Subiaco score two goals um, I thought was outstanding, our backline stood up um, across the four quarters, the rebound 50 set us up on a number of occasions and our inside mids um, I thought gave our outside run um, a lot of opportunity and um, we were able to give our forwards a lot lot of uh, scoring power um, in, in our deep forward 50 entries so Again, I can't really single anyone out. It was a fantastic team effort. Um, I suppose one person I can single out with which really set us up. A um, number of pressure acts with Taylor Pesquet Down deep, her second, third, fourth, fifth efforts time and time again really stood up and um, game-defining moments, which she should be really proud of and, um, yeah, really looking forward, obviously, to, to taking on East Free in the grand final next Saturday. We'll regroup again, review the game and, uh, and go again. One more to go. Let's go, Swanies.
1: So that means a big grand final day coming up for the West Australian Football League women's competition this Saturday, the 14th of September at Mineral Resources Park in Lath Lane. Uh, three grand finals being held on the day. $5 entry at the gate. Kits under 16 free. 10.15 a.m. local time, the Rogers Cup grand final. That's the under-18s between South Fremantle and Peel Thunder. The Reserves grand final at 12.10 p.m. between South Fremantle and Claremont. And then, of course, the big one at 2.35 p.m. local time, the West Australian Football League Women's Grand Final between East Fremantle and Swan Districts. That game will be broadcast locally on Channel 7 live and of course go to Channel 7's uh, On Demand page later on and you'll be able to watch back a replay of that. The UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Grand Final was played over the weekend. Quimbian Tigers 8 7 defeating the Balcona Magpies one to take home the Premiership Cup. Congratulations to the Tigers. In the Tasmania State League Women's Competition, the uh, major semi-final was played over the weekend with Launceston 5 defeated Glenorchy 4-5 29. Glenorchy will meet Clarence next week in the preliminary final. Launceston straight through to the grand final. To the Victorian Football League women's competition the semi-finals were played over the weekend and you heard it live on RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com. On the Saturday we called the Pies and the Bulldogs and it was the Bulldogs victorious 4-2-26 defeating the minor premiers Collingwood 1-8-14 meaning the Bulldogs go straight through to the grand final in a Week and a half time at Princess Park, Collingwood go to the preliminary finals. Speaking to us post-match, the Western Bulldogs, Ali Gavalis. It's great to have in the commentary position with us, uh, Ali Gavalis. Now, are we correct in saying Gavalis or Gavalis?
11: Well, most a lot of people say Gavalis, but yeah. it is Gavalis. So
1: Gavalis. Yes. So we'll have to have that right for the big one, <laughs> the grand final. I should ask the question: how, Has the reality set in? Two weeks' time, you're playing in a grand final.
11: Yeah, it's ridiculous. I can't believe it, honestly. <laughs> to think back to the start of the year, to think we would be playing in the granny, oh, it's crazy. Pretty well, excited.
1: Let's go around the panel. We've, of course, got Neil Butler, our co-caller, Katie Lambeski, a Spurs footballer herself, <laughs> and, of course, women's footy legend in the Graves.
9: Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the win. Um, Thank you. Um, how, what was the deciding factor, do you think, today? Of course, a lot of pressure with a side like Collingwood have had a, a great season. Um, heading in today, what was the focus?
11: Yeah, so they've had a great season, um, and they've been you know at the top for a long time. Um, I think for us, we've been really working on our, working on our defensive um, axe, sacrificial acts. Um, you know, we have a target of how many how many blocks, shepherds, um, you know, how many tackles, that kind of thing. I think, and that the rest the rest works out itself after that.
4: So, Ellie, one of the jobs that we have to do, as you know alleged commentators, is we need to give a 3-2-1, typically, you know, best on ground.
3: I found the most pleasing aspect, I suspect, for you and the team is it was really difficult to find the best players for the Bulldogs yeah. because it was such an even yep. an even effort. That's got to be a great thing going into a grand final.
11: It's awesome. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, and I'd probably say the same for last week. I think, you know, we all, everyone, if you look at the stats and how we played, everyone everyone played a good game.
12: Nicole? Uh, Lalafeio, I just want to talk about how, and you know, she had a massive, uh, she, fantastic defender, but a massive day. You imagine, um, you know, with Lambert and uh, Malloy rotating back into their forward line. I mean, how important is she, and just her calmness around in that deep defence. Who was that? Sorry, Lalafeio. My bad. <laughs> Moa. Yeah. 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 yeah,
11: yeah. <laughs> oh, she's she's absolutely such a um, critical part of our team. She's awesome. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah.
9: Of course, a lot of. I think it was really tense at halftime. I think it was really uh, tough for either side to really get a foothold in the game. What was the message from Sean and some of the coaching staff um, at the break? That, that did anything sort of turn it around? Do you think, feel in your
6: view?
11: Um, I think a big part was just he just said just let's just take it on, let's just yep. enjoy it. We're you know we're in twenty minutes, we could be playing in the granny. Um, Don't, you know, let's take risks, let's be offensive, let's just take the game on, let's have fun. That was the big message.
4: Because it seemed to me, sitting here, obviously you'd be in a better position to comment, it just seemed to be a slog. Like, there was no free-flowing game, it was just all about, and that's obviously what Collingwood did last week. Yeah. you know, held it to a goal each at at Mm.
11: three-quarter
3: time. Did you get that sense?
11: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, It was a, yeah, hard game, tackle, stoppage after stoppage. Mm. Um, But we didn't give up. We just kept going and going, getting back up, you know, picking each other up. Um, working as a team and just, you know, stoppage by stoppage getting it forward.
1: A very similar situation to last week against Richmond. A close mm, yeah. finish, they're going down on the Williamstown Road and yeah. they're bombing away. How much did that experience from last week carry over to this week? Okay, we're in a similar position, we know what to do here.
11: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when there's a few minutes left, we're in red time. Um, you know, let's take our full seven seconds on the ball. Um You know, let's do the smart things. Let's you know when it's when it's in that dying moment, and we've just got to calm it down a little bit. Just keep a cool head, and yeah, I think definitely last week helped us with that.
12: Yeah, and I think yeah, we were talking about that. It was just about you know, particularly that last few minutes after you got the goal, and even to create that goal was just the patience that you're able to have, and to hit some targets and do that. And where ironically you weren't doing that as much. During the game, but yeah. certainly at those, you know, those really important moments, yeah. we saw that obviously both weeks. And I think that that, you know, speaking, I spoke with Sean. We spoke with Sean before the game. That's the first time I'd spoken to him. But his calmness and the fact that, you know, you yeah. just sort of said it was about, uh, you know, his calmness and and you enjoying it. Really, you can see that out yeah. there. How important is, you know, the coach that isn't, you know, getting over emotional with you yeah. guys and his his 100%. personality. I guess.
11: Yeah, so important. Um, you know, it kind of all from there, you know, we can all bring what we've got but, well, you know, he's the person that sits us down at the start of the game um, at each quarter to talk to us and, you know, he's always calm and giving us a good good message and, you know, how good is this, if, you know, playing in a, a game to try and get in the granny and let's enjoy it,
9: yeah. Um, any preference on who you want to play in the grand final?
11: Oh. I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll just have to see how it goes tomorrow. The
4: correct cliche is, I don't care as long as I'm getting a game. that's, well, that's the, it, exactly. <laughs> that's all that really matters, isn't yeah. it? As long as the, the Bulldogs yeah. are one of the teams that are playing, yeah. you don't mind.
11: Yeah, and I think I think now we can finally think, Let's we can really believe in ourselves that we can now go all the way. Yeah.
1: And finally, one last question, though, before we let you go. Besides, obviously, playing in a grand final, what does it mean to you personally to be wearing the red, white, and blue?
11: Oh, it's massive, yeah. I've, I've absolutely loved Playing at the Bulldogs this year—it's um, been my first year here, and I, yeah, I absolutely love it. So it means means the world. You know, the history of the club's huge, um, and to be wearing the colours is yeah, it's uh, it's an honour.
1: And on the Sunday in the minor semifinal, the Southern Saints 10-5-65 defeated Melbourne University 7-6-48 to knock the Muggers out of the final series. Speaking to us post-match was Saints footballer Kate McCarthy.
9: You've got your shoulder strapped. How is the shoulder? Yeah, it's um,
13: it's uh, still fairly numb. I had a painkiller before I played, so um, yeah, it hasn't quite worn off yet. I got, I'd laid a tackle in like the third quarter and that was probably the time that I felt it the most, but... Yeah, I was able to get through the game, which was really good. Um, and I'd say we'll probably do the same next week if, if all's committing. So, yeah. Were you
0: hiding in the change rooms before the game? Because we didn't see you during the warm-up and stuff. Oh,
13: um, I, w- I was a late comer to the warm-up because I was still getting the injection because we wanted to do it as close as we could so that it would stay for the whole match. So that probably put you off a little bit, sorry.
12: <laughs> yeah, we swear you were hiding in the showers there. We're like, mm, she's not there. No, we've yeah. written her off and then all of a sudden, da, da, and run out. And there you are, the long sleeve jumper. <laughs>
1: How... What did you make of the
3: team's performance today? Was a you know that third quarter you really put the you put the foot down and you were able to hold on defensively in the last quarter?
13: Yeah, I think um, I mean as a team we just wanted to all play really well and play our role and I think that's the first game. I mean I've been down for probably about six six rounds now, and I think that's the first game we've been able to put it all together forwards, mids, backs, and and really work well together. Um, as an entire team and it is the old cliche that you need everyone to play well and today we all did and, and we were able to put together a really good performance.
12: Yeah Kate, I, I agree we're talking about that, it was a really team effort and it's certainly a team defense in that last quarter, a uh, three quarter time I imagine what Pete was saying but you know we're talking about what the coach says and actually delivering it out there so when you had that ascendancy, being able to play that tempo footy and pace and slow it down, was that the message at three quarter time? Yeah
13: definitely I mean we'd set ourselves up in a really good position but we knew that they were coming home with the slight breeze that there was um and also they're such an attacking team like it was kind of the battle of two teams that like to play a similar way and and attack the ball get it wide get it into space so we knew they could score quickly um so we knew that five goals may not have been enough so we needed to really get that pressure keep it up there um and then also yeah slow the tempo down play our i guess brand of footy and slow it down even more and be nice and composed in that fourth quarter
7: is it is the feeling now down in the change rooms, you know, the confidence, especially through the players that are newer to the VFL level and and haven't really played finals football, is you know now they can take that forward to how well they did?
13: I yeah, definitely. That. And obviously looking forward even further to AFLW, having a game of final experience when we've been able to put it all together, that's massive when it comes into next year as well. Um, but, I mean, taking that into next week, we're kind of in a position where Collingwood have come off a loss now and, and we've got the momentum going forward. So... It's an interesting final structure that's probably all all I'll say on that one it's interesting how it all works but um, yeah I think if we can come out and, and play that and take the confidence from this where everyone's really confident up and about and nice feeling in the change rooms, taking that into the game next week I think will be a massive advantage.
12: Yeah, I think um, we, we sort of spoke about it at the start of the game that this game, the way that the Muggers play and the way that you play, they were actually going to make it a bit easier for you guys to actually play your game plan in comparison to last week where Collingwood just played one-on-one footy, just really squeezed you up, so it was good to see. In terms of that, I just want to ask you coming, uh, we're actually tag teaming K9, I'm going to Queensland, and she's coming down here. Have you enjoyed your yeah, uh, Melbourne footy during the winter and, uh, and what do you see you know as uh, coming into AFLW with the Saints
13: yeah I think the only thing I haven't really enjoyed has been the weather um, I didn't come down at the best time of the year but um In saying that, coming down early and having the experience, I wasn't originally going to come down until the AFLW pre-season, but just to be able to get to know a lot of the girls who will be my teammates next year has been a massive advantage, knowing what they do on the field, um, how they play, and how we can all gel together. Um, But, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm loving being down here, loving a new challenge, being in a new city. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and really looking forward to next week as well.
12: Just tell me, I played 15 years of footy with Pete Searle. How are you finding Pete Searle's coaching? I won't say versus Stas's coaching because I obviously know both of them well. I don't want anyone (laughs) to beat me up when I leave the place. But um, how are you finding the different coaching styles?
13: Yeah, Pete's great. I mean, I loved being coached coached by Stas as well. Um, Being a female, a little bit different approach, but um, she's just a genius. She's a football genius. She, You can sit and review and just sit there for hours and hours and talk about things, and, and she knows the ins and outs of everyone's game as well down here, which is a massive advantage. Um, and she's just a great person as well. She knows when it's time to have a laugh and knows when it's time to be serious, and that's sort of something that I really enjoy. I enjoy the lighter side of footy, so it's, it's really beneficial for me as well.
1: Speaking
3: of the game next week against Collingwood, what did you sort of take out of, of your loss to them uh, a couple of weeks ago, and what do you think you, you as a team and yourself have to focus on going into the game?
13: Yeah, I, I don't think... like We didn't play well last week at all. We didn't play the type of footy that we want to play. Um, credit to them, they sort of... Uh, didn't allow us to either Um, but there were times where we probably just needed to be a little bit more bold and take a few chances Um, and I was the thing that I was really impressed with today in the first quarter the first few times we had the ball in defensive 50 the first thing we did was switch it so I mean girls had learnt from last week it was a tough loss it was a hard lesson we scored one goal that was from a bit of defensive pressure and a bit opportunistic Um, so as a team we didn't play very well at all Um, so if we can take out the things we did really well were the things we did horribly last week. So if we can keep doing that next week, obviously a different opponent and they'll be an absolute powerhouse. They've been great all year. Um but yeah, it's gonna be a really exciting opportunity next week.
7: Thank you so much for your time, Kate. Enjoy your post game pizza and all the best with sort the of preparation for the prelim. Yeah, nutrition its no, fine. <laughs>
1: Congrats, mate. So it's all set. Collingwood versus the Southern Saints in the preliminary final this Sunday at Northport Oval. Bounce Down, 11.45 a.m. You'll hear live coverage on RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com from 11 a.m. this Sunday morning. Join us for all the play-by-play action and our pre-game and post-game shows. 11 a.m., RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com. That wraps up our show for yet another week. I'm Peter Holden. It's been a privilege having your company. And until next week, it's bye for now.